Welcome all to this week's episode of the podcast, The Commercial Connection, where we connect you to great commercial real estate. On this week's episode, we are so thrilled. In studio, we have here in Pleasant Grove, Utah, in our own studio, in our own office, this doesn't happen very often, we have some of our favorite people, Scott and Rochelle Rutherford, who just joined our team, what, two months ago maybe? Yeah, about two months. Yeah. <laughs> it's been, it's it's been, been a, a long time and a short it, time. And a I was going to say, it seems like six months at this point. I think we've accomplished a lot in the last couple of months. Well, we sure appreciate having you both here. Thank you. Tell us, first off, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who you are, hobbies, family, kids, favorite things to do, you know, the whole thing. Rochelle, start us off. Thank you, Spencer. Well, I'm Rochelle Rutherford, and our family resides in Alpine, Utah. We love Utah. We've, I'm a native Utah, and my husband Scott is from California. So I grew up looking at these beautiful mountains and spending time with my family in the mountains, camping, hiking, enjoying the outdoors. So we're a very active family. We have six children. We, um, I like to joke we had a range at one point from college to preschool. We have three boys and three girls, and our oldest is 19 years old, and our youngest is six years old. So we have a very active family. Some of our favorite things to do, we really enjoy tropical areas. We love to go on a family trip each year to Hawaii. That's probably one of our favorite destinations. Okay, where do you go? Well, we have been to Kauai, we have been to Oahu on the North Shore, we've been to Maui, but any if, other places we've been? If Scott surprises you with tickets tomorrow, where is, he, where is, where is that plane landing? I would say, what would you say? Well, probably, probably Oahu, just okay. not necessarily because um, it's our favorite island from a scenery standpoint and so forth, but that's kind of our second home there. Cool. We have a lot of friends up on the North Shore. You know, uh, there's one family in particular that our kids call their, their auntie and uncle, you know, yeah. just like the, the locals do. But, so we're very close with them, and every time we go there, we, we see them and hang out and whatnot. So it just kind of feels like home you know yeah. there's the restaurants we go to yep. there's the the grocery store we shop at there's the beaches we go yeah. to and and so it's just yeah it's like home how fun how fun okay so hawaii what where else <clears throat> there's a lot of mentions in our meetings about costa rica and so puerto for, rico for me uh, i was gonna say for <laughs> me it's all about the tropics i you know I, rochelle mentioned i grew up in california i actually spent all my summers down in mexico so warm, humid, tropical type weather is that, that feels like home for me. I love it. So Bora Bora yeah. is just amazing. Yeah. You know, all of French Polynesia is amazing. Costa Rica is a favorite, just not only because of the weather and whatnot, but the activities. Yep. I mean, adventure vacationing in Costa Rica is just out of this world. We took our our whole family there, kind of did a combined vacation slash. Um, humanitarian trip. So mm. we, we did some, some humanitarian work while we were there. We spent a month down there and just kind of served and and enjoyed the, the beautiful weather and the, the beautiful people. And anyway, the animals. so yeah, the animals. Um, Puerto Rico is awesome too. Um, kind of the same reasons. I mean, it's just, yeah, people How are amazing. Fun. And the, How the fun. Weather is, yeah. 
It's a lot different than the hot, dry heat here in the summers of Utah. Yeah. Which sometimes is unbearable. Yeah. Yeah, the the, the dry cold is, uh, that's what really gets me here. Wow, that's cool. So let's pivot into business for just a few minutes. You've been in the tick industry, the tenant and common industry, for how long now? So let's see, well, I first... I first started in real estate. Okay. Um, about so that's been 16 years now that I first started in real estate, specifically in the tick industry. Now we're coming up on 14 years. Okay. I think yeah. Okay. So about 14 years. And how did you get into the tick space? Because well, you know little boys don't like play with their trucks and say, "Oh, I want to sell fractional shares in commercial real estate." <laughs> You know, they're you like firemen. That that's exactly how I grew up. They're like, oh, yeah, that. I want to be a fireman. I want to be a teacher. I want to play football. Right. I was going to be a surgeon. Okay. So I was a pre-med student at BYU way uh-huh. back when. This is long before any of this. Um, pre-med student. And uh, I. it was actually my junior year. I had taken all of these zoology classes and chemistry and microbiology. I was a microbiology major. Um, and uh, I... I had I kind of just came to the point where I was like, this isn't what I want to do. And, and you know, since first grade, it was what I had wanted to do. Yeah. And so I shifted gears and I switched to, uh, to be a business major. Yeah. So I did an undergraduate degree in business management. And then um, later on, right before starting in this industry, so this, this is where we're leading with this, I actually went back to BYU and did my MBA. And uh, when I finished my MBA, I actually um, was kind of recruited out of business school by a company that was doing this. This, yeah. Which was something completely new that I'd never heard of. I had my real estate license because I had dabbled in real estate prior to that. And I looked at it and it just kind of fit. The the analysis of the, the investment properties, um, working with people and you know finding solutions for them it was really kind of something that I always really enjoyed that kind of that, that's kind of what drives me is is trying to help people have a better life and yeah. and you know what can I do to contribute to that and some people aren't good at the analysis side of things I I am and so to be able to help them with that was something that really kind of that's what grabbed my attention yeah. it was like, I was like well this is real estate but it's not right and so that's what really grabbed me I was like it's, I didn't want to be an agent I don't want to yep. drive around and show people homes or <laughs> list people's homes or anything yeah. like that had no interest in that and Rochelle you're fairly new to this the tick world give us just a few sentences on your background before you started working with Scott in the tick space? Yeah, so I've spent my career in technology. I've also worked in genealogy as well as running a nonprofit organization working with children with special needs. So I've had executive leadership roles as well as sales um, responsibilities and, and I've watched Scott in action for many years and we worked together when we were first married about 24 years ago where we did a couple of different sales jobs together and we found out then that we made a great team Mm -hmm. and we really enjoyed working together. Not everyone can do that with their spouse, but we we work really well together. So I think that's 
what drew me into working with him. He's asked me for several years and we just weren't at a position where I was ready to let go of some of the other interests that I was working in and the, the timing was just right for us to come together and work together and so that's been wonderful. I think the the piece that really draw, drew Scott in to um, the tick space is looking at how passive income can create that freedom for investors to really have an income stream that they can rely on. It's been a topic of conversation in our own family of how do we generate passive income to where we can live that carefree, stress-free yep. life and um, set like up- Like anywhere in the world. Like anywhere in the world. Right. And I think as we are looking for options for ourselves and how do we have more flexibility and freedom in our financial goals and as we make plans, hopefully moving into retirement, you know, sometime down the line, but where we can travel and we can know that um, we can build upon that investment and have have just a lot more flexibility in life. So I'm gonna- Attractive. Perfect, so I'm gonna give you a question that sometimes I get from either a real estate agent or someone looking to purchase a tick, which stands for tenant in common. Why would my client do this? So I got a call from an agent just a few days ago, and you know she says, you're a debt-free tick, there's no leverage, no one's paying off your mortgage. Why would my client ever wanna do this? So Scott, talk to us. Why would someone wanna do this? Well, really, it's it's all about the stability and the security of the investment. Um, obviously, anytime you're dealing with a property that has debt on it, you're going to be there, there's a risk there, even if it's slight, even if you have a national tenant and whatnot. You're just the sheer act of adding debt to the investment adds a level of risk because down the road, if the tenant goes south, you know the property goes vacant, and all of a sudden, number one you then run the risk of having to be on the hook for monthly um, mortgage payments on the property. Number two, there, if you can't make those mortgage payments, you run the risk of foreclosure and losing the property. And for me, that's just not really a risk that I'm willing to, um, I guess, support. Yeah. In other words, sure, if people want to take that that risk, that's fine. And there's some wisdom behind leveraging up, as yep. particularly if you're early in your investment cycle. You know, you have a lot of time where you could make up losses over the years, you know, if it's one of your first investments and um, you're, you're kind of looking to build upon that. And if you lose it all, it's okay because you have another 20 or 30 or 40 years to make it up. That's one thing. But most of the people that I'm working with are really looking for, number one, passive income that's reliable. Number two, which actually probably is number one, is just the security of that investment, mm -hmm. knowing that what they invest in, even if that income stream were to stop, still has value because right. they're investing in real, they're actually acquiring true deeded ownership in real estate. So people real think, property. yeah, so people think buying a residential rental is passive income. Oh, no way. Is it, is it or is it not? There's no way. Even if you have a property management company that's great, you're still just, you're, you're intimately involved and connected to that property. So what sets, what sets the duplex apart from the part owner of a, well, I don't, like, a dollar, like a Dollar Tree or Dollar General or a bank, 
a bank building. Right. What's that's what what's different in that in that quote unquote passive income? So so first off, let's just talk tenant. Okay, so the, yeah. the, obviously there's an obvious difference between having a national tenant, you know, a, a credit tenant in that property who has signed a corporate guarantee, long-term yeah. corporate guarantee on that lease. Compare that even to, let's say, a duplex. Even if you had a family who signed a 10-year lease on the property, which is extremely doubtful. I mean, you're not going to find anyone who's going to sign a 10-year lease. I've heard of two-year leases. I've never heard of a 10-year lease with residential. But let's just say, for argument's sake, that you had a a tenant who would sign a 10-year lease. How much faith would you have in that tenant (laughs) actually staying in that property for 10 years? There's no way. It's not going to happen. The full 10 years? It's pretty close to zero. It's pretty close. Yeah. I mean, life happens, right? right? Well, sure. In the corporate world, life happens as well. But if you have a tenant, for example, like a PNC bank that has decades and decades of growth and positive cash flows and amazing financials, and then they're an A-rated tenant. And they've been in locations for like... Right. 16 years. Oh, yeah. Some of these tenants we work years. Some of the tenants we work with, their average time in a specific location pushes 40 plus years. Yeah. That's their average. That's not even the longest. That's the average. And so, I mean, just by comparison, there, there really is no comparison from a tenant perspective. And then add to that just the reliability, you know, again, that the, the rent showing up every month like clockwork. Um, as opposed to going and knocking on the door and saying, hey, your rent is five right. days late. Right. We really need you to pay your rent for this month. And, oh, I'm sorry, you know, I, my, my paycheck was delayed or I had unexpected medical expenses or whatever. Like, l- like it, it always surprised me with our corporate tenants. Like, their checks hit our bank account not on the 5th or 3rd or not even on the 1st. They hit it on the 31st. Yeah. Or the 30th. Or the 27th. Or the 27th. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really true. It's, so is owning commercial real estate the exact opposite of owning a residential, non-commercial building? Like From an like experience a, perspective, yes. Okay. It's still secured in real estate, right? I mean, residential real estate is great. You're, you're buying an asset. You're owning a piece of America. That's what, that's what I had a client. He, he's like... Well, this is kind of, you know, my grandpa always told me that, um, you know, and this kind of goes back to your question about leverage as well. You know, he always told me that buying a piece of real estate that's leveraged, you don't own it. The bank owns it and the bank owns you. Right. That's the way he would explain it. The bank owns it and the bank owns you. By contrast, if you buy real estate that's 100 percent debt free, you truly own that and you and and again, this, these are his words. You're you own a piece of America, yeah, right. And that's kind of the American dream, right? So, so he, uh, um, I, I was just going to say. So really, the contrast there between having the bank own you and the property own you, which a lot of times, even if it's debt free and you own a residential property, that property owns you, like a fourplex. They own your life. The yeah, the maintenance alone. The you know the phone calls at two o'clock in the morning to fix somebody's toilet or whatever, you know, that's with these, you know, the tenant is taking care of the property taxes, the maintenance, triple net, the the triple net, lease, the the strength of the lease. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just, it's really a dream for as particularly anyone who has experienced residential real estate. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it would be a dream come true. So Rochelle, for you, give us a sense of how, 
easy or complex it really is for someone to buy a portion of a building. Like you've bought, you bought, you bought your home, you've bought other real estate. Is buying a, sh a share of a building more complex or less complex than buying a residential property? I definitely think it's less complex. Um, of course, with residential, depending on what you're looking at, if it's for a personal home, you know, there's a lot of complexity around that, just finding the right location, schools, you yep. know, where you want to live and have your family live. And, and then from an investment perspective with residential, you're going through that same due diligence. You're looking at what's a good location, where can I attract renters, is the market saturated? Yep. There's a lot of components that you're looking at, but with commercial real estate, you're really looking at the quality of the tenant, you know, um, what are their financials, are they a good, strong tenant? You're looking at um, where, where the property is located, what are the supporting businesses and demographics around, around that property, and you know, what's a plan B, right? What's like, a plan B in case that tenant, um, you know, like vacates in 15 yeah, years. Exactly. And the great thing is, is we do all of that due diligence for you. Yeah. We, um, we do all of that homework for you. We lay all that information out for you. So you really just need to be looking at whether you want to go with a PNC bank. You want to look at a, a bank. Do you want to look at a dollar general? Do you want to look at a medical facility? What are the things that you're drawn to that that helps give you that feeling of peace and reliability and what are you drawn to and we can help narrow down that decision for you and as far as from that all of the paperwork pretty much can be done online and it's a very quick and simple process so last week three people three people said okay i've done my homework i want to sign a, a purchase and sale agreement right from that time to the time they're closing, how, how long does that take? I would say you're- 45 looking, days, right? Like a regular bike buying a home. No, you can actually do it within two weeks. <laughs> so it's a, it's a pretty quick process. So, so last week, four people said, I want to buy. Right. They signed. Right. Then we involve title. We involve the title company, yes. And, and then they're closing- They're closing within- A week, 10 a, days. Right. Today. Or today. They're well, they're closing today. Yeah, well, it's, it's been well, two weeks. Yeah, like specific. Yeah, like on these specific deals, they said like last Wednesday, I'm ready to close, and we scheduled closing for today. today. Yeah, and there's no appraisal. There's no, I mean, the the million different things that happen when you buy a residential property don't happen because it's already been done and. Right. It's just not complicated. Yeah. So all of the paperwork we do, um, you can sign electronically for that paperwork and you have access to all of our due diligence records so that you can um, do your own research and, and see what we're looking at, how we came to the conclusions that we came to. And then we simply walk you through the process with the title company um, to complete that process. Scott, anything else you want to add to that? Um, no, really, probably is just Actually, I, I thought I'd tie that in also to 1031 exchanges. Right. I mean, that's really kind of where that, that compressed time frame helps a ton is with 1031 exchanges. There, there's a couple aspects there that with a 1031 exchange that make people really nervous. I mean, there's that 45-day deadline that's yep. looming out there. Yep. You have to identify a replacement property scary. within 45 days after you close the sale of your property. And that's scary for a lot of people. Um, 
and there's kind of two different mindsets. It's interesting because a lot of the people that I work with, they will, they're actually way ahead of the game. They're not, they're just listing their property for sale. So they're not even close to starting their 1031 exchange and they're doing their homework way in advance. And they literally want to know, and I think there's some wisdom behind this. They want to know ahead of time before they even close the sale of that property, what am I going into? Because I've only got 45 days to close Mm -hmm. and I don't want to start my search during those 45 days. And so they'll do all their homework ahead of time. There's not only is there less stress by doing it that way, but the other aspect is that um, while their funds are sitting with the qualified intermediary, they're not earning any income. Or if the intermediary is paying any sort of interest rate, it's a fraction of a percent. So by doing their homework ahead of time, they could actually have everything set up to turn around and close within a couple of days after the sale of their property and keep that money working for them rather than taking a rent hiatus for 45 or 180 days um, with no income coming in from it. And it's still just so simple. And it's very simple. So simple. Right. And then there's the flip side of those who come in and say, hey, uh, I sold a property a month ago and I've got 15 days left in my my identification window and I've done no research yet. So, okay, so when... when (laughs) It, how when when's the farthest time frame into that forty five day period you've had one you've had someone call you and say I need to identify three p.m. on day forty five <laughs> so hours hours so literally hours so that happened to me like like two months ago someone called me mm-hmm. and said I need to identify right and it feels good that we can help them right well because it it's good. inventory right that's one right. of the differences right. so so. Back in the early days of this tick model, there were a lot of companies that would actually go out and they would find properties that would be a a good option for people. They'd put that property under contract and then they would go out and find a bunch of of buyers. And they'd say, we're going to close on the acquisition of this property on this date. And so we've got to get all these buyers lined up so that we can close. And they use the buyer's money to close on the property, right? So they've got no skin in the game, number one. And number two, they're, they're technically putting all those buyers at risk because what if they don't find enough buyers? And it happened a bunch of times and you've got people in their 1031 exchange time frame who now have identified this property for their exchange and have passed their 45-day window. And all of a sudden this company says, sorry, we didn't get enough people put together in time, so we're not going to close. Yeah. What just happened with all those 1031 exchanges? Lost, like washed done. away. Washed they're they're away. gone. They're done. Yep. Yeah. So... This, I mean, that's what I love about this model is these are inventory. You can identify it and literally close in days and and complete that 1031 exchange. And you don't have to worry about, you know, can Mill Creek find the property in time? No, we've got the property. We've got it. Call me today. I'll show you what we have and you can close next week. I mean, it's it's really that simple. And anyway, that's that's one of the things I love is that people can call up on day 45 at 3 p.m. and say, do you have something I can identify? And he goes, yeah, I have three or four or five options for right, you. Right. Well, good. Well, let's end, let's end with a question. Rochelle, you're first. You've been in this world for just a few months. One thing you've learned, and then Scott, we'll go to you. 14 years, what have you learned? Something, A nugget you can pass on to our audience. What have you learned in 14 years, Rochelle? Well, what I one thing that I have learned is that the process is truly simple. If you can take someone like me and put me right in the middle of the process and be able to help clients walk through the steps that they need to take to close and 
and that it's simple enough that I can assist with that within a few weeks, then it must be simple for the people that we work with to help walk them through that Simplicity. process. Simplicity. Simplicity. Scott, 14 years. What have you learned? Um, it's, I, I would say, um, reliability and relationships. So, I mean, during that time, uh, I, I actually would have to look it up, but more than half of the people I've worked with have come back and, and purchased another yeah. tick interest in yeah. another property. Yeah. And that's really the biggest compliment that I could see in this, in all this is that relationship of trust that's built over years of that reliability, seeing that income come in and, you know, just knowing that it's something that they can count on every month. It, again, we talked earlier about the simplicity of this. How much simpler it is, is it round two or right. round three the next time you come? Because now you've already been through the process. Right. Now, instead of, oh, I have to learn about this whole structure and I have to learn about these properties and so forth, it's, Scott, what do you have available? I, you're my guy. <laughs> right. I, come, help me out with this. I'm, you know, I've got another 1031 exchange coming up and I'm leaving on a cruise in two weeks. What can we do? Yeah. You know, it's like I said, that's the greatest compliment is, is the, the trust that people put in. So let's, let's leave it there. Scott, if someone wants to get a hold of you, Scott and Rochelle, if someone wants to get a hold of you, what's a, what's a good phone number and a good email? Um, so they can, uh, so my direct line is area code 801-949-1100. Um, and then my email address is just scott at elevated1031, so elevated1031.com. Uh, so very simple. Uh, if they need to, if they want to reach out to Rochelle, that's fine too. Hers is uh, 801-634-6400. And it's rochelle at elevated1031.com. Well, perfect. Well, thanks for joining us. This is Spencer Taylor again with The Commercial Connection, hoping to connect you with great commercial real estate assets. Signing off, and we'll see you next week.